everybody, and good morning, and hello to those on uh, Christian Coffee Time, or whoever, or wherever, and whoever you might be. Uh, thanks for looking in on this. We are in the uh, Book of Matthew right now. We've been going through the uh, Gospels, uh, trying to go chronologically, but we've missed a whole bunch of stuff, and sometimes it's hard to just keep it going. But uh, we are looking at the last week the week uh, uh, before the uh, crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, and we're up to, uh, in my other Bible, I get written down on where we are, actually, as far as the day, we're somewhere around Wednesday, in that middle of the week, somewhere around there. Um, but uh, one of the things that we can see is it's a quite amazing the amount of things that are taking place here. Uh, we'll be going over to the book of John shortly as we... Uh, Leave Matthew and go into John has some more information for us for these few days before the cross. The Lord Jesus was tremendously busy. But what we see here in 22, we have uh, basically we divide the um, the chapter into five divisions uh, or lessons, whatever you want to call them. Last week we looked at the uh, the wedding feast and the, the parable of that. Uh, from verses 1 to 14, and today we're going to look at, uh, Lord willing, verse 15 to 22, which is, talks about the temple tax, uh, is it right to give this to Caesar, and such, so there's five different ones here. But one of the things we can see as we look through this, uh, just an overview of this chapter itself, and when we take the chapters, though, we must remember that oftentimes you have in our Bible, like, like we see it here, the conversation continues from one chapter into the next, so we don't stop. It's not like a whole new thing. We have to be able to discern that. But nonetheless, we see the Lord dealing with, now the Pharisees come up to him, and then the Pharisees with the Herodians come up to him, and then the Sadducees come to him to give him trouble, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together up to him, and then the Pharisees again. So the Lord Jesus has this all the time, all the time, all the time. you think it would wear you down, wouldn't it? All the time, these characters, but he just continues on, doesn't he? So we're, gonna, uh, we're in chapter 22, as I said, and we're going to start at verse 15. And from verse 15 to 22 will be that we, if, if the time goes by quickly, we'll just jump into the next lesson. But we'll just uh, carry on from here since we have a word of prayer. My Father... Again, we give thanks, Lord, and we just uh, ask that you guide us and help us, Lord, as we look at the interpretation and the applications for ourselves here in these portions of Scripture, Lord. And thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for yourself. Help us now, Lord, to understand. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you might want to make sure you have writing materials and that down. You shouldn't have to be told that. You're told that so many times, eh? Okay. So we're going to look now at uh, um, verse 15. Then went the Pharisees. Well, the Lord Jesus had just uh, uh, told them a parable about uh, uh, the, the wedding supper that was being prepared by a king and how the wicked individuals killed the servants and so on and so forth and killed the king's uh, son and all this. And uh, They're a little bit uh, uh, stirred up. We'll see later on that they're uh, affected by this and they want to lay hands on the Lord Jesus and they're not able to do that until God says it's time, right? When he says it's time, and then it would be time. Um, so it's in verse 15, uh, then went the Pharisees. Now, we had looked at um, the different groups and just mentioned them very quickly. 
This is a group that was a, um, a religious group. It had nothing to do with politics. The idea behind the word means to be separated. They were separated once. They were ultra uh, separated, and we would call them legalists today. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel. They're getting together now. How they might entangle him in his talk. So they're 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 really upset because he's making them look like fools in front of the people. But one of the things we saw, we were looking at though too, he wants them to understand too, but they're not going to understand. And right at the end, the next chapter we see as he starts to really, uh, the Lord Jesus tells them off uh, really uh, tremendously. Uh, but right here, so they gather together and how they might entangle him. That means to trap. It's like to set a trap or something. Like you have a, ever have a, have a mouse in your house? And uh, you set a trap. That's the idea. They're, they're going to entangle. They're going to trap him in his own words. Now, we look at it from our standpoint here. We understand who Jesus Christ is. This is the Son of God. This is God manifest in the flesh. The Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God is infinite in his wisdom. They're not going to be able to trap him. But they don't know that. They're, they're completely, completely uh, oblivious to these things. They are the ones that are standing up. They're saying, we are the ones that show you the way to God. Which they, they don't, though. Um, and uh, uh, well, let's just back up a little bit. What we have here in verse 16, we see uh, they sent their disciples with the Herodians. Now let's just talk about that for a minute. I have a note here for that. We're going to ask the Lord Jesus a question. Now over in the book of Luke, it gives us some, a little bit more information on that particular thing. Let me just read those two verses for you in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. Uh, first, first of all, verse 19, it says, The chief priests and scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. When was it that they finally did lay hands on him? That was at the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas had betrayed and he comes with that multitude. And they came and one of them, and they started, one of them grabbed hold of the Lord Jesus. That's when Peter cut his ear off. Mm -hmm. That's what happened there. But they want to lay hold of him. They want to put hands on Jesus. They want to do him harm. It says here in Luke that the chief priests and scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him and they and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable unto, against them. Okay? Now verse 20, it says, And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, uh, so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the government. See, they couldn't take hold of his person. They're going to try and take hold of his words now, aren't they? They're going to try and trip him up in his words. So that they could deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. To the governor, who's that? Pontius Pilate is the governor. Okay, they're scheming right here. But see, even in their scheming, God is going to use them because if you go to Acts chapter four, verse I think verse twenty-six on there, talks about all the ones that were involved in sending Jesus Christ to the cross. This is God's plan. This is God's foreknowledge. This is what God wants done. And these ones, they're so uh, contrary, and the Lord basically says, or in my mind, he would say, like, okay, you're, you're the guys. You're going to be the ones that bring this to pass when I say so. So they're going to be the ones. They don't even know this yet. But they sent unto them their disciples. Stop and think about that for a minute. 
You have these characters, they've been trying to do the Lord Jesus harm. They want to stop him. They don't like what he's saying. He's taking away all the attention from off of them. He's making their uh, religion and politics and everything look foolish. So let's do something about it. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go face this man to man. No, they sent their own disciples. They're a bunch of chickens. We won't go. We're not going to go. You guys go, you the students. You, you, you go and see what you can do with him. <laughs> doesn't it seems almost comical, doesn't it? seems almost comical to see that. It says, they sent unto him their disciples with the Herodians. Perhaps, perhaps the Pharisees themselves didn't want to be too close to the Herodians. Okay? Didn't want to be um, uh, um, seen with them or whatever. But it's, it's kind of ridiculous anyways. I'm not sure how we're supposed to take that. Let's just look at the Herodians and the Pharisees for a minute. So we look at the two different groups, and we see that um, um, it was very unusual uh, for this to happen. This is not something that would normally happen, Pharisees and Herodians together. Um, the Pharisees were strongly resentful of the Roman occupation. Now, they were under Roman occupation, weren't they? The Roman the Romans were there, the soldiers were there, they, were, they had a governor from Rome over them and everything. They could do only certain things according to their law. For instance, they did not have a law that could put a man to death. That's why they had to have the governor get involved. That's why they had to have Pontius Pilate involved. But the Pharisees were strongly resentful of Roman occupation, especially of the poll tax, the tribute that's mentioned here, which was required. Okay. Every person had to pay to Caesar. Not only were they under that uh, 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 um, occupation, they had to pay this tax. On, I'm not sure how often it was. Okay, they had to pay tribute to Caesar. Okay, and uh, chapter 17 right here. We'll get to that in a minute. So we have the Pharisees. They're very resentful. And they're very opposed to anything to do with the Romans. But the Herodians, on the other hand strongly supported the Roman presence in the land. It was their source of power by which the Herod family ruled. Their problem was that the King Jesus was coming in and he was a threat to them as well because they were supporters of Caesar and the Herod family and all, all this. And we're looking at another king, that's why it comes up so often, they say he's the king of the Jews. It was such a problem for them. But they figured that they had Jesus trapped and he would be against one of these two groups. Okay? He would be against one of these two groups and in that they could catch him and they would track him in that. Let's have a look in the Bible here. And they said unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, now just listen to the, the syrupy words coming out. Master, which means actually um, the word master can have different things it means. Uh, you can see sometimes under master you might see rabbi or kurios or different ones. This one is the word that means teacher. Okay, So they're coming to him. They're seeing that uh, the Lord Jesus is one that, that teaches. And they, they do that. He says, we know that thou art true and teaches the way of God in truth. Well, wait a minute, then why don't you show that in your life and believe what he's saying? Uh, sometimes people will say some particular things, but in their heart, something different. Well, let's have a look and see what takes place here. 
They say, Master, we know that Thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest Thou for any man, for Thou regardest not the person of men. He doesn't really care about what people say. He's got a job to do. He's not in, the Lord Jesus is not intimidated by any particular group or any person or any such thing. He knows who He is. He knows what He has to do. And He will do what He has to do and say what He has to say. Okay? But they come to Him and remember they're trying to trick Him. One of the first things that's being used here is a deceit. Which the Bible warns us against. The Lord Jesus warned the disciples of one of the, about the end times and such. Beware, be careful that you're not deceived. First of all, deception. They're trying to deceive him as to who they were. See, they didn't understand who they're dealing with. Okay. Go to verse 17. Tell us, therefore, because we think that, and we know that you're telling the truth and you're showing the way of God. Um, Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Smooth talkers. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Okay, that word tribute means poll tax. There was a, 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 a tax that had to be paid by every person. It was a, kind of a census tax that was, was to be paid. So they're going to see, is he going to where's he, uh, the Lord Jesus going to stand with this? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. You see, in whatever way the Lord answered their questions, they assumed he would violate the tenets of one of the two groups. He would be proven guilty in the eyes of either the people, if he disagreed with the Pharisees, or the governor, if he dis disagreed with the Herodians. But the Lord Jesus avoids both of those pitfalls with his answer. Seeing that he's the Lord... Okay. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. That word perceived there is an interesting word. We'll have a look at that just for a moment. It means to know by experience and observation. So basically what that means is that the Lord Jesus understood who they were and by their actions and words in previous times that they're just they're liars and they're absolutely wicked. Okay? Jesus perceived this. He knew this. Uh, the Lord Jesus knew that they were wicked in their words and that they were wicked in their actions. And people can try and say, well, you know, you know I, I, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a, a good person and so on and so forth. Your words don't line up with your actions, do they? We must come to the Lord by, through Jesus Christ. He says to them, uh, their wickedness simply means iniquity and the badness. Well, you know what that is. And he said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Now, this is an important word right there. Because so when we get over to chapter 23, he uses the word hypocrites another eight times in one message, talking to them, and some other things as well. Let's just have a look at the hypocrite for a minute. So he calls them this, and they know full well, full well what it means. Uh, it simply means a stage actor or a pretender. There's a pretense going on here, but there's more than that involved with it. At that time, in uh, Greek and Roman actors would speak in these large masks that they would have, and they were designed to uh, uh, accent the voice to make it louder and such, okay? And keep that in mind. As he calls them hypocrites, he's saying that these are ones that they like to have their voice 
They like to be the ones speaking. They like to be the ones up front and so on and so forth. Um, it was a custom for them to use these devices for augmenting the voice at that time. Hence the word hypocrite. Um, it became uh, used metaphorically of a dissembler, a hypocrite. The stage player answered one to another, back and forth, empty words back and forth. So the Lord brings this out and he sees that and he's showing them and telling them, I've got you pinned down. I know exactly where you're going with this. We keep that in mind when we get over to uh, the next chapter. He says, uh, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Why tempt ye me? So the Lord says, show me the tribute money. So they're going to bring a particular uh, a piece of money to him. Um, our Bible here says a penny. It was actually was what was called a denarius. And you would have on one side, you would have uh, um, a relief of the, a picture of Caesar and the other side things written on it and so on and so forth. That's the image and the superscription. So they bring a penny, uh, uh, a denarius. And it's interesting to note that over in uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, we have where the Lord's talking about the parable of the, um, the fellow that hired the guys to work in his field for the day. And how much was he going to pay them? A penny. So we can see from that that a penny is worth about a day's wages. What's a day's wages today? Anywhere common would be in between, what, 100 to 200 bucks or something like that? Is that fairly common? Mm -hmm. in around there? So it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of change, but uh, he says, Show me the tribute money, and they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Who, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render, or give back, means to give back, therefore unto Caesar, the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. Very simple. He didn't fall into the trap of condemning or going with one of the two options that they presented to him, but he brought an absolutely a third option. We see the absolute wonder of the Lord and the wisdom of God in all this. And when they heard these words, they marveled. It means to wonder greatly. They're so overtaken by this. How, how could he do this? Do you ever come away when you're having a conversation with somebody, you come away and you think, oh, I wish I had said this, or I wish I had said that. Anybody? Yeah? Probably everybody. Some people are quick on their feet, so to speak, and bringing something out. The Lord Jesus knew the whole scenario and knew the words and brought that out just perfectly for them. They're dealing with God right here. And they went their way. It says they left him and went their way. So we have the next one. Let's go down to the next one for a bit. We have a couple minutes yet. Uh, the same day, okay, the same day, they're relentless. The enemy is relentless. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely relentless. If he can create a situation that would, in his mind, create a, a problem for an individual or whatever, in this case it was the Lord Jesus, he would just keep on with it. Like, for instance, you go back to Matthew chapter 4 when the Lord Jesus was in the wilderness. The devil comes to him, and the Lord has to rebuke him three times, doesn't he? He just keeps on and on and on. It says, and he left him for a time. Okay, he would come back again. That's the enemy. But here you have these guys doing the devil's work. The same day came to him the Sadducees. Okay, the other side of the coin, the Pharisees are the, uh, uh, the legalists. These guys are the absolute liberals who say that 
uh, there's no resurrection. It says right there, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him. Uh, we looked at a while ago, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, where the, uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the Corinthians, and they had in amongst them some of them. He says, uh, uh, how, "How say some of you, some that are among you, that there is no resurrection? Perhaps they had." <coughs> Sadducees in their assembly, I don't know, or somebody that had been in, influenced by the Sadducees. They say there's no resurrection. So they go on to say, saying, Master, Moses said, so they're going to bring out, okay, they're going to use the scriptures. If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. He says, Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first which had married your wife, and deceased, and having no issue, left his wife under his brother. So it goes on, they're trying to present this scenario. They don't know anything about the resurrection or the afterlife or anything, and they want to know, here's a case here. If uh, uh, this woman's husband dies, and they had, well, then her, the, the guy's brother was to marry her and have children, but they didn't have, and so on and so forth. It goes through all seven, likewise the second, also the third, unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection... Whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Kind of, do you suppose they're mocking? Now these big people are desperate at this point. It had been uh, about just over three years. The Lord Jesus and his ministry had been going on and been drawing attention away from them and to himself. They are absolutely desperate this time. They want something to happen. Okay. So we look at Jesus' answer and said unto them. And this is a wonderful answer, but just a absolutely amazing amazing answer and Jesus answered and said unto them ye do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God error in uh, our lives in society and such is because people don't know God they don't know the scriptures if people knew the scriptures they would not behave as they do these ones had never read they didn't understand but there's a basic problem that you have there for, uh, for people. The two things that they didn't know about, they didn't know the scriptures. If you don't know the scriptures, where does that leave you? As Jesus said to the, and we already mentioned in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said to the, the devil himself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If we don't... Um, pay attention to the Word of God and get to know the Scriptures, where are we going to be? We might find ourselves in error in some particular thing. Everything in our lives, every situation that we come up against, you will find there's an answer for that in Scripture. We need to be watching, we need to be reading, we need to be looking, we need to be listening for the Holy Spirit of God. But they didn't know, and they did not know the power of God. Now, I want you to write down these verses in Romans uh, 1 16 and 1 Corinthians 1 8 and 2 Corinthians 12 9. Now, these talk about the power of God. Um, one of them talks about the Apostle Paul speaking, the, uh, uh, talks about that the power of God would rest upon him. The context of that particular passage, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 12 9 is the grace of God. The grace of God is the power of God. It's shown to be that in, uh, um, in, in that, uh, um, that one uh, portion right there. He says, you do err, though, 
That word err means to wander. It, the word, the word to err is where we get our English word planet, meaning that the planets wander. They have a course they go on, don't they? But they're up there wandering. That word that that comes from, uh, it means that, to wander. So he's saying to them, you do err. And if you don't know scripture, if you say, and as these ones did, they had their own ideas. And one fellow said to me, well, the God of my understanding. Well, that's fine and dandy, but as long as your understanding is derived from what the scripture says, you know, this is not a book written by man. This is a book written by God. As the Lord Jesus said, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where do you find every word that's proceeded out of the mouth of God? The Bible. Right here, we have it right before us. There's all kinds of cults and isms and, and, and religions and such that are wandering. They're just wandering about, aren't they? They're not going to make it there. God has said that my son Jesus Christ, the son of God, God manifest in the flesh, God with us, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. God himself took on a man's body, the second Adam, he's called. The first Adam failed in his mission, as it were. The second Adam is going to succeed, isn't he? Because this is God himself in a man's body going to the cross of Calvary and being crucified. A horrible, horrible death. But sin causes death, the Bible says. And God says that. It's what takes place. That's why we die, because of sin. Jesus Christ, being God, is infinitely holy. He never did sin, never knew anything about sin. He wasn't in him. He did, it, it, no thoughts, nothing. Okay? But he takes upon himself the sins of the whole world. Amen? Yeah. Isn't that something? You just stop and think about that for a minute. He took all of our sins upon himself and paid the punishment of those things. And again, we've, we've already gone over and thought about this. I don't know how you would ever come to an end of it, though, a, a conclusion. How could, you, um, how could you even imagine the amount of payment that's necessary or the amount of sin of every person that would ever live? That's a lot. Do you find that, I find that as I get older, that this old body is more demanding. You ever find that? It's like just more and more demanding and demanding. And sin's a real thing. Sin's a real thing. As God has made provision for the believer, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But um, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, oh, we forgot something, didn't we? Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and he rose from the dead the third day. Ah, there's the whole package right there. And God just simply says, if you will believe, if you will trust, if you put your faith in Christ, then you won't be in error. You won't be wandering in these characters. I was watching some things this week and doing kind of a study. It's not really a study. Looking at some of the TV preachers, you know. Uh, the ones that are obviously, um, they're really out to lunch. And it's a shame. You have hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands and thousands of people listening to them and following them. And they're not telling people the way of salvation. They're not talking about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They're not talking about who He is and what He did. He crucified. He went to the cross of Calvary for the sins of the people. They're just wandering. They're just erring. They don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. That's the problem of this world today from the, the crime and everything else. 
Because people don't know God. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, we're in error. Look at the error, and it's building, and it's building, and it's building. Not knowing Scripture, first of all, as we mentioned in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God gave the word, the Spirit of God superintended what they wrote down. You hear people sometimes say, well, just a man wrote this. And he was just writing things down out of his own memory and that, that, that kind of thing. Well, Jesus did say the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance these things. But the Spirit of God was involved, eh? Amen? Amen. <clears throat> you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. And those few verses we mentioned, we're not, we're not going to bother uh, mentioning them right now. Just that the grace of God, the goodness of God, the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. That's the power of God. He says, you don't know these things. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. There's no procreation. People will be a different kind of being. I don't know if we'll be greater than the angels or equal to. Uh, as it is right now, mankind is less than the angels. Okay? The angels are a company of beings. God made each and every one of them. Where uh, human beings, he made two. And then the rest followed of that procreation came out. Okay? That's why God could take on human flesh and go to the cross and pay for the sins of the whole world. Because we are all in Adam. We are all from Adam. And those sins and all the sins that we, that we do and such, uh, he could deal with. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read uh, that which was spoken unto you by God? There, he's referring to the scriptures again. Saying when you read the uh, at that time, they'd be looking at the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament completed yet. At that time, you go and read that, he says... You are reading what God has spoken to you. Okay? It's interesting to note that um, uh, governments and such today are uh, trying to uh, do away with Scripture and Bibles. I guess it goes con conflicts with some other things, eh? When you read the Bible, you're reading... God speaking unto you, or God has already spoken unto you, saying, verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, why did he say that? Well, he explains himself. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, meaning that Isaac, and Abraham, and Jacob are alive in God's presence. Amen? Amen. They are. They're alive. And when the multitude heard this, he had the Sadducees there, but then you have this multitude of people around as well. And they were astonished at his doctrine. We're going to stop right there. We see the Lord Jesus, and read through these in chapter 22. There's five different things. We've already covered three of them. Five different lessons or parables and things that he does and says. Um, but look at the different groups. The next group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, are going to come up to him. And it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And they finally, they can't, you know the rest of the story, they finally, they can't trip him up in his words, and they can't touch him. 
They can't come near him because he, God has not given them that, allowed them to do that yet. But finally they will when it comes time. When was the time? The time would be on the Friday, the fourth day, uh, would be the 14th of the month, the, the 10th would be the Monday when he rode in, they selected the lamb, and then four days later they killed it. So it was coming up close, coming very close to the time when the Lord Jesus would give his life. We'll continue with that uh, another day. Uh, just some things about the Lord we see as we look through these things and we see the things of God, we, we can't help but... Be taken amazed as the multitude were astonished, and we should be astonished and just absolutely in awe at the ways of God. And He says that my ways are higher than your ways. Perhaps there's something going on in your life right now that you don't understand. Well, take it to the Lord. You say, well, did God, did God make this happen or whatever? People always blame God for everything, but to understand that God's ways are higher, and if God did, and He's a perfect right to do whatever He wants in our lives, doesn't He? Doesn't He? He does. He does. But His ways are so much higher. The timeline of the cross, you mentioned many times here, that they couldn't touch Him, they couldn't come near Him, they could only speak to Him they, until the appointed times, the ways of God had to be followed. And we see not only the ways of God, we see the Word of God and the importance of it and the power of it. God speaks to us not by dreams, not by walking through the woods and the rustling grass. It doesn't do that. It's by the Word of God where He has spoken. The wonders of God are absolute power that He has over nature, absolute power over mankind, absolute power over time and events. And we certainly see also the wisdom of God as we see the Lord Jesus Christ as He deals with these ones and brings out just such tremendous, tremendous things, and they're left astonished and marveled at all these things. And we read in Romans 8, 28, I think it's 28, isn't it? Uh, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's just a portion of it. But that's the wisdom of God, isn't it? We have a great God. We have a great Savior. Uh, there's lots of things in here we haven't even touched on, I suppose, as far as lessons for us. But to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and in and through all this, did he raise his voice? We aren't told. I don't think he did. He's just talking to them, telling them. God never changes. God never changes. He says that if you come to my son, you come to me through my son, through faith and belief in what he has done, I will save you and declare you righteous, and you will be one of mine. And he never changes from that point, no matter what we do, how dumb we are or stupid we are. We talked about this earlier. He never changes. God is the same always. Amen? Amen. Anyways, we have to stop. Read your Bibles. Read through. Read them slowly. Look at the divisions. Look at the words. And look at the wonders of God. Let's just pray and we'll close. Father, we just thank you now for these things. We just pray that you will uh, you'll help us, Lord as we seek to, uh, well, we seek to serve you, Lord. Help us to get the message out and help us ourselves, Lord, to live and walk before you. And we thank you so much that you've told us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we just want to thank you for the provisions you've made for us. 
We thank you for the salvation. We thank you for yourself. Thank you for your written word here that we can read this, Lord, and see. And we can just, as if we were actually there, Lord, to listen to and hear the things that you said and how that we should deal with others and things, ways that we should be, Lord. We just thank you for your grace and we just thank you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, thanks for listening in, folks. Uh, Lord bless you. And we'll see you next time, okay? Thank you now.